I'm Anthony Shetler, and this is the All I Need Skate Podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please let us know by subscribing, liking, and sharing an episode. Check out allineedskate.com for epic skate videos of the crew, our skateboards, and apparel. Um, yeah, like I was just saying, Bing, maybe let's start at the top. Just like, because I know you were born in another country, and I figured that's a good spot to start. How old were you when you moved to the States, I guess? Yeah, I was five. So I was born in China, in uh, Beijing, but my mom was just there, I think, for work or school or something. Um, she and her family are all from uh, Sichuan, which, you know, people mostly uh have heard about Sichuan through Sichuan cuisine which has become like even more popular than than it ever was lately but uh yeah so my mom's folks are all from Chengdu the capital of Sichuan and my dad's from like a little village like a province over in Hebei um so at the time yeah like my mom was going to school my dad was going to school and so uh my grandparents mostly took care of me, mostly my mom's parents, but uh, once in a while I'd go stay with my dad's parents as well. Do but you, yeah, she, you're only five years old. Do you remember like having to leave? Were you, do you remember it at all? Yeah. I remember like little, little like flash visions kind of like, I remember like riding in the back of my mom's bicycle. Um, Cause it was just like, it was a time where there weren't a lot of cars. Like most people just rode bicycles. Um, I remember like going to daycare. I remember getting in trouble with my cousin. My cousin's a year older than me. And we would like get into shenanigans. Like one time, like my grandma, my mom's mom uh, lived in this like old apartment complex. And me and my cousin one time set like a pile of garbage on fire. <laughs> and I remember we got in trouble for that. Like my, my grandma got mad at us. Dude, that's some kid shit right there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was it was wild. That's crazy. I I've been to China. I went there when I rode for New York and uh I went to Shenzhen. I believe that's how you say it. When um Oh yeah, Shenzhen, like right next to Guangzhou. Yeah, um, yeah. Um it was yeah. still de- it was still developing like you were saying. There was like a lot of people riding bikes still, which was kind of crazy for me to see coming from America. Yeah, yeah, Shenzhen is like now the like manufacturing city of the world. Like it produces, you know, everything from iPhones to clothes, and that's kind of what it's known for now. Um, but yeah, it's a country that like was so recently developed. Um, I mean, my mom was the first generation to be able to go to college because it was still sort of going through the culture, like the, the end of the cultural revolution, essentially, you know, where they closed down all the universities and, you know, had a real like agricultural, like communist type of mentality and yeah. in politics. So. Yeah. It's crazy. That stuff's still going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's weird, like, you know, not to get too political, but yeah, it's, it's China's become like, more authoritarian than it ever has i think since um since like you know the the first like communist like programs first started after the after the civil war what what was the reason to go come to america um my mom uh 
I mean, it was just kind of a place where a lot of people wanted to go. And at the time there was just more opportunities. Um, but my mom got sponsored by a professor at a little college in, in Alabama. So um, she got a student visa and came over a year later, me and my dad came and met up with her in Alabama. Well, like, so someone like, you know how you sometimes see those on TV or used to more like sponsor someone from another country, like literally just send them money to help them out. I don't really know how it works. I just know that like, um, I, I think it just was like helped in the paperwork, like section, you know, if you have like a professor who is willing to, you know, claim me or whatever, I think it's, it's like easier to get your visa, your student visa approved, I think. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's crazy. That's cool though. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. I mean, it, it like changed the course of my life for sure. Yeah, you were so little. You were probably just like, "We're going for a ride." <laughs> yeah, I was, you know, and I still, I feel like I'm like kind of, you know, getting like uh, moved around so many in between like three different places as like an early child or a really young child, I feel like I've always been kind of like, you know, floating, wandering, like Rolling Stone type of mentality. Yeah, I can relate. Totally get that. Yeah. Which is weird because you ha trying to adjust to that is not easy. It, there's like goods and bad, good, good and bad things about moving a lot and meeting a lot of people, you know? Yeah. And I wonder how you like, the, you know, for how it was different for you. But for me, it was just like, I just kind of was I kind of like became somebody who was just in his imagination a lot, you know, just like, and I'm, that still is kind of who I am. I'm just like, I'll just get lost, like editing some, like a skate edit for like hours kind of. Yeah. 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 I have tendency to do that too. Yeah. I think it's just kind of like a way to like, you just make the best of your time and you're bouncing around a lot. Sometimes it gets tiring to meet new people and be put in new situations a lot. And like, just retreating back into your own imagination seems like the best thing to do. Yeah. In a weird way, like I feel like I can't, I mean, pandemic was sort of weird for me because, you know, as probably, you know, like you just, as a skater, you build this life of like traveling and meeting new people on every single week, every single month, every single day is a little bit different. And so it was like weird to sort of like hunker down and get into like this routine mode for, kind of the first time in my adult life you know yeah yeah a lot of people like good amount of people have experienced that now too because of the pandemic it's so crazy yeah for me i kept skating i was like and i had the we had a ikea near us and it's like a fortress and nobody was there and it had a cover like you're in the parking garage and i'd go there and it'd be like a skate park you know which is like so many people from all over that like helped me keep saying <laughs> That's so funny. I did the same thing because I was living in Orange County at the time. So I drive over to Long Beach, to these like curbs at this dog park. And it was awesome. There was like all these like, just endless double-sided red curbs. So many dogs running around, you know, like so many skaters from just all over the place. And like a lot of characters, a lot of people were just like living in their vans or just like coming up and like talking to you. Like I just, I met like a lot of crazy people during that time. <laughs> Yeah, it's like everyone had free time, <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> so yeah. crazy. Yeah. Uh, so I guess, when did you find skateboarding? What age? Uh, I was 12 or 13. Um, 
I was in seventh, sixth or seventh grade in language arts. This guy, Gabby Gomez, he would sit next to me and he'd always like draw like these funny little cartoons of like Teletubby smoking weed or like Barney, like drinking a 40. And he'd always like make me laugh at these little illustrations. And uh, he like was a tech decker. Like he like just let me play with his tech decks. And then I remember one time he like invited me over to his place and he lived on the other side of town from where we were living at the time. And uh, he lived in this little neighborhood that was next to the only indoor skate park in Rockford, Illinois, where I grew up. And because he lived near the skate park, there were a lot of really good skaters uh, in his neighborhood. And so uh, the first thing that happened when I went over to his place, we played Tony Hawk one for the first time ever uh for me for the first time ever and it was like what is this this is crazy i don't you know what is i was like kind of getting introduced to skating and video games and pro skaters and music like all at the same time that's what that video game did to a lot of kids i think um but then we went outside and there was like like half a dozen skaters and they were all like really good i remember seeing this dude double kick i didn't know what it was back then but i remember it visually so like i i now know what it is but he double kick flipped a four stair damn <laughs> and it was right like up. insane <laughs> but yeah i, I asked for a, a skateboard for for christmas from from my mom that year and she got it for me that's sick do you do you know why there were like skaters already there was there a shop or because rockford illinois that's not really like uh is it a city yeah it's like a city of like at the time it was like a city of 160 170 000. Oh, okay. um so it was but it was like you know it wasn't it was like an hour of cornfields between the last chicago suburb and rockford so it was kind of like marooned in the in like a its own part of illinois um but yeah it's actually uh this this uh private skate park that uh also had a shop and they had a lot of demos and uh part of it was because it was like the new iteration of this other more famous shop called the rotation station that was around in the 80s um and so if you watch minding the gap uh zach's dad is the guy who like started that park oh, and okay. it's it's a park where like a lot of pros used to roll through i think like that's where costin and and barra like first met was at that park um like some one of them tweeted that and you might have what? to fact check that but it's <laughs> it's like that was the type of you know like cruise that would roll through so like if you ask some people, skateboarder would get pissed too and be like did you fact check that <laughs> <laughs> totally i know there's there's gonna be somebody out there um but yeah, no, it was, it was like, because of that, because of that park and because they had a shop there and because they would like put on like demos and like put on like punk shows and stuff. Oh, hell yeah. Punk shows. Yeah. Ugh, I've been listening to a little more upbeat stuff lately, getting psyched again. Yeah. You just, what are you headbanging to these days? Well, it's not even punk music. I remember I used to listen to like Pennywise and like bad religion when I was real little. Cause people were listening to that stuff. Um, Lately, I've just been listening to Arcade Fire, which isn't really punk, but <laughs> but I've been starting to get into more upbeat stuff, <laughs> going back to it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's cool. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's music is so strange these days because it's so accessible. Like, yeah. I think it's weird growing up and you, like, hear about something and it felt like a discovery. And now it's, like, it's just so ever-present, you know? It's, yeah. like, you can instantly find out what a song is on your phone and it, i don't know it's kind of 
it feels weird to me, you know? And so I, I don't know, like I have a different relationship with music now where like, I don't even know what I'm listening to a lot of times. I just have, like, I don't listen to albums anymore. I just have like a, my liked songs on Spotify and it's just like, and I just like curate that every once in a while, but I just listen to that basically. Yeah. It's like your, your own big mixtape of just hits. I've been starting to do that with the Spotify too. I yeah. would just go to albums though. I get lost in like an album for like a month. And then I'm like, I've just listened to this album for a month. I'm still on it. <laughs> and then. Oh, so you listen to whole albums. You like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, lately I've been just going to my liked, liked in Spotify, like you were saying, but that's just started in like the last few weeks. But before that, I just get lost on one album at a time. It's the best when you can find an artist that every song from start to end is like awesome. You know, you just go with it. Yeah, I mean, I remember actually Arcade Fire, their first album was one of those albums where, you know, in, in high school, I was like, wow, this out, you know, I just listened to that whole album on repeat. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, they have a lot of good hits like that. Was that, so what was the first genre you got into music? Do you remember? Yeah, honestly, it was just like, I mean, it was just like, pop radio for a long time like through elementary school early middle school and then i think because of because of like getting into skating i remember like flip sorry was the first video i ever watched and i had a bootleg copy of the vhs and so i just i didn't even know who the who the bands were at the time but like i really liked that whole soundtrack yeah um but then I got, because of like the types of skaters I was hanging out with, I got really into like, like goth, like got like metal goth type of like Slipknot and like Mudvayne and stuff Whoa. for a little bit, like yeah. Marilyn Manson. Yeah, I like um, some of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I always liked the more energetic stuff, like not the kind of like slower, like more molassesy stuff. Um, but then I like kind of got like a little bit more like rock and roll like acdc and stuff and it was all just based on which crew i was rolling with i rolled with a bunch of different crews because like my mom and i like moved out of my stepdad's house in our own place and moved back in with them so i like was like moving around a lot um and like i went to two different high schools and uh but yeah and then i and then like i kind of got into like indie indie rock and that was sort of like the thing the the phase that lasted the longest like yeah. throughout my teenage years yeah I went to two different high schools too. Uh, I went to New Bedford High School, and then the last two years I went to Wareham High, and that's where I graduated. Were they like starkly different vibes? Oh yeah, yes. Uh, Wareham is like the gateway to Cape Cod, so it's not Cape Cod, but it's the gateway. So you got to go through there, and it just has a small town feel to it, sort of like a. Uh, and then New Bedford. At that time, it was kind of crazy. It was like, <laughs> it was uh, a lot of ghetto. It was big, a lot of people. There's, It's a city. And like where I lived, it was not like the nicest neighborhood at the time. But yeah, it was so different. <laughs> what about you? What was the two high schools? Yeah, the first one is East. Um, and that was, I, I, I like, you could apply to go to whichever of the four public high schools in Rockford you wanted to go to. And then there was a bunch of like private schools. But um, East was the public school I wanted to go to because that's where like my skater friends I met in eighth grade were all going to. And it was like a lot of fun for a couple of years. It was um, it was like hectic. There was like fights every day or like every week, um, you know, like there's a lot of like teenage pregnancies. 
Um, uh, I remember this one time there was a fight that broke out in the front lawn and this like cop car drove across the front lawn, <laughs> like, like, you know, like I had to like split the crowds and then like just wild. coming in hot. You're like the cops. Are yeah, it was, coming, <laughs> yeah. It was crazy. Cause there's we were, everyone was outside. Cause a fire alarm got pulled. Like someone like joke pulled the fire alarm and then a fight broke out outside. So, and then, and then it was crazy. So a lot of people would skip class and go to the basement where they had this gymnasium. And one time there was just a bunch of like seniors who had like dragged a bunch of freshmen down there, like unsupervised. And we're just like drilling them with, with dodgeballs. And like, I remember this one like freshman walked out with like a bloody face. Um, oh, dude. <laughs> it was a crazy, I mean, I would, I somehow was like good at like sort of floating around and being friends with everybody. So like, I didn't get messed with too much, but, um, but at the same time, like the education, uh, like quality of education was like so bad. Like th- there was this one chemistry teacher who literally just gave us the answers to tests. Um, yeah. So I was like, I need to like take my ACT and go to college because I want to get out of Rockford. I want to get away from, you know, the city and just go start my life somewhere else. So I, I applied to transfer to this other school and it was like a lot nice. It was like just richer. It was in a richer part of town. So, um, it was like, it felt really hard, like academically. And then at the same time, everyone was like driving, you know, luxury cars to the parking lot. Yeah. Um, so it was a very, and I like, didn't have that many friends. I like sat with a few skaters that were there at lunch, but other than that, you know, I didn't really like talk to that many people there. I got a question. Uh, why do you think you were able to like at your other school, just bounce around and talk to a lot of people? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I was like really, uh, I was like willing to like be a clown. <laughs> like I was just kind of a clown. I think um, I wanted. I, th- I felt like I was just like, uh, I don't know, man. I I don't know. I think ever since I'm when I f- I remember like when I first like came to America, and uh, I just felt like kids were always like kids a lot of kids just took me under their wing like and when I moved to Rockford I remember like third grade or second or third grade like getting introduced to the class and there was like these three boys who like just like let me sit at their cluster of four desks and they just like took me under their wing they were like we're into football what we're gonna get a team for you you know you're gonna be you're gonna be the Green Bay Packers you're gonna have to color every assignment um, for the rest of the year in green and yellow you have to use green and yellow crayons it was like that kind of stuff and I, I don't know why man it's just sometimes kids can be nice you know yeah yeah, yeah that that reminded me of when I was younger I, I know because I moved a lot and uh, dealt with like heavy stuff as a child and, like moving to another country and stuff is like big transition but I, I didn't do that but I I moved to, like cross states and stuff and uh I remember I was able to talk to everyone because I kind of felt vulnerable. So I was like, looked at other people as like, oh, they might be vulnerable too. And then I'd say hi to like people, everyone, every type of person, you know, like not naively, you know, like not even know. And then you end up just talking to them. You're like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) So like traveling, I imagine like leaving your environment, like and moving to a new country, you're like kind of just like everyone's new to you, you know? Yeah, I don't don't know. I mean, I think maybe because like things were so messed up at home that like everything seemed like so like even if people I I think like any sort of like self-consciousness or like uh getting made fun of felt like not that big of a deal which um 
compared to what was going on at home, which was just like violence. Yeah. Um, and so like, it felt like the normal like obstacles that I think um, kids when that I think like as a teenager you deal with like this, like self-consciousness, like uh, didn't bother me as much. So, you know, maybe it was just, maybe it was that, maybe I was just like willing to take more risks, just like talking to people and, you know, yeah I, I, I totally get that because it you feel you're like ah this isn't a real problem <laughs> like being made fun of <laughs> it's not as severe as some other heavy stuff i've seen before honest i think that's honestly what it is if you let people make fun of you they'll be nice to you if they if like you if people make fun of you and they and they, you don't like get mad or like get bothered by it to the point where like they're gonna either enjoy bullying you or like get into a fight with you like somehow they just they like want to keep you around <laughs> it's like a yeah. weird thing <laughs> i i don't know that's that's what i feel like happened in high school for me yeah some of that's just a test they're just testing to see if you can like not take yourself too serious sometimes but i think that was because it was like the ghetto high school or whatever that i went to the first two years because and, and i think that's why i didn't have much luck finding as many friends at the new high school because i feel like those kids were like well-adjusted kids who were like you know we're going off to college you know yeah and like yeah. i didn't know how to relate to that i didn't know how to like navigate those friends circle i didn't know how to navigate those social circles i was just like i can't like i don't have any like reference points you're not why are you not making fun of me you know, yeah, basically. yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's funny <clears throat> yeah. i can i can relate to that like going into a situation and not knowing how to navigate that and just like retreating a little bit definitely can relate to that yeah that's why I like uh, skating. It helps because I feel like you just meet so many different people from all walks of life and everyone's on a piece of a skateboard, you know, which is a trivial thing sort of. So it's like kind of makes it easy to talk and hang out. Did you, yeah. get, did you get into filming through skating? Yeah. So I was, um, uh, yeah, I started skating. And then after a couple of years, I like, uh, I was trying to like, at, you know, at the time, I think everyone was just trying to do like the zero thing or the toy machine jump off a building you know it's just like people are just trying to get gnarly so i was trying to get gnarly i was like skating stairs and stuff and uh i was skating this 10 stair broke my arm in two places um so i broke my ulna my radius had to have surgery went under like i still have two pieces of hardware like connecting my bones in my forearm my left forearm terminator i had terminator style yeah total like exoskeleton um <laughs> But yeah, I had a. I was just watching the James Cameron do a masterclass about how he made Terminator. It's like wild how he was able to make that in in this for the budget he had. It was like a four million dollar budget, and he just yeah. like, yeah, he did all. He pulled all the tricks. There was no CGI at the time, and he just like did all these like crazy camera tricks. That's so wild because that when that came out, that was like innovative. You know, like I, I think it was like pretty big deal. I don't remember seeing a Terminator type effects movie like that remember the lightning right they like came in like naked right Is yeah that... <laughs> yeah yeah dude. he just like lands and it's just crazy like that arnold schwarzenegger was like so serious and scary because when i think of him now you know i think when most people think of him now you think of him as like the kindergarten teacher or somebody like a man giving birth to a child or something <laughs> <laughs> or like or like twins with danny devito <laughs> yeah exactly i was gonna say yeah <laughs> That's so funny. He was a governor yeah. too, the governor. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, and he just like he like just called out Russia too. I saw um, that. 
yeah a lot of ukrainians like you know see him as a hero from his movies yeah, yeah. it's crazy now like with the uh, social media it's weird seeing like actors use their acting to like like play a role in politics and relations and stuff it's crazy not to say he's acting but he's the governor you know <laughs> <laughs> so crazy yeah but yeah I, I broke my arm and then i got an above the elbow cast and i like tried skating for a little bit i tried skating down this like foundation gap behind this car auto ship and i just like fell straight onto my tailbone and i was like I, I should probably actually not try to skate with an above the elbow cast yeah um it was so it was, it was the cast was right here yeah i like went up to like mid bicep um, okay okay i don't know why like the, i couldn't they didn't let me bend my oh i actually, actually it's probably because they didn't want me to because like when you bend your elbow it moves your forearm muscles yeah oh. yeah the... hold on one second i got a call i got a decline okay yeah dude um but that's you... a weird spot yeah i've never really thought about like having a cast in that area on my arm that's the first time i even heard of it to be honest but it's I've seen the full arm cast where it's like shoulder all the way down. That one's pretty wild. Um, yeah, it was it was crazy. I remember get I got a hot pink color because nice. I was like a freshman or sophomore, and like that was yeah. I mean, that was like who I was at that first high school. You know, I think at that second high school, I would not have gotten a hot pink cast. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it was. Yeah. that's funny <laughs> yeah um but yeah then i like um but around the same time this is what was crazy like well around the same like that was i was like with this crew this like t you know they like made their own skate team simple skate team um so they had a height camera so um every once in a while I'd, I'd film with that but it was like i remember when i was like 15 this is after the cast is off i was wearing a brace at this point um there's this guy and he's sort of like a hometown hero kind of guy, like this guy, Brandon Vance. I was just skating like this four stair rail by myself and Brandon rolls up with his, like, his crew of friends and they start skating. And I just sort of like weaseled my way into like going skating with them for the rest of the day. Classic. And uh, he at the time was splitting time between the Chicago suburbs and Rockford because his mom had gotten married to this guy who lived this like brain surgeon uh or spinal surgeon or some somebody who like had this big house in the Chicago suburbs and those kids out there were like um just more like with it you know like they were just next to Chicago they like had all the trends and stuff like because Rockford is always like 10 years behind the trends so like these kids like you know watch the latest trans world videos and they knew what a vx1000 was and they you know there was two of these there was these two filmers matt and gene matt king and gene belliger um they like would come out to rockford with brandon sometimes and i remember they had a like little handy cam with a baby fisheye and uh but they were like really into filming like one of their AIM screen names was film 001. And, <laughs> nice. and he just like, I, I just never, you know, like I saw like my friends like hold cameras and like kind of film, but this guy like new technique, 
like he you could tell when he like just films like a handrail trick with the with a baby death you know just like not even seeing the footage just seeing how he like moves his head and body yeah you know that he like knew what he was doing it's an art um, like filmers are, are an art they're each a special creation <laughs> skateboard skateboard filmers <laughs> yeah totally and then so after meeting them like we just stayed in touch i stayed in touch with matt and gene and they like just told me what to get they're like yeah get this camera get this lens and so I just like saved up. I was working at a pizza restaurant, like washing dishes at the time. I just saved up enough money to buy like a little camera on eBay, buy a little fisheye. Um, and I just started like learning, like kind of on my own and with a little help from them. Um, yeah, that's how I started. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I started skating just because like I had a bunch of homies around me ripping and I always wanted to keep them skating, coming out. And I would just like, I was like, let's just get the camera. It'll give us something to like work towards and work on. And we'd film each other. And then, and then I started like as far as skating goes, like now I just have like, I use my phone and my, in a GoPro a lot now. I don't even have a VX. I got rid of that a while ago. My friend Sammy films VX a lot for all I need in world. They're always working on like full length video parts and team videos and stuff. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. When you get, I mean, it's crazy. Cause like nobody was really like in Rockford, nobody was really like filming seriously at the time to the point yeah. where like Matt and Gene were, where they, um, they eventually got both got VX 1000s and a Mark one and, one of them got a VX 2100 and they had like a crew that had like Jenny and lights, you know, yeah. they were like very, um, kind of just ambitious, I think, I guess, like really like took it seriously. Um, I like that. I like that. Yeah. But in Rockford, it wasn't really that much of a thing. Um, so like being the only filmer who was like really passionate about making edits and making videos, um, like you see that it does motivate people and, it like kind of gives you a little bit of like a power kind of like a little superpower. Like, I, I don't know. I think it partially is also because like, I think I got really spooked after my arm injury. Um, Cause like my mom and stepdad tried making me quit skating. And so I was really scared about getting hurt kind of like for two reasons, you know, like, like just my own health, but also, you know, I didn't want to like, you know, have them come down on me harder. Yeah, it's um, like you proved them right, basically. Like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, I, I so I, I think because I like didn't, tr I didn't try to get that much better at skating. And I was like, you know, like starting to be around friends that were really, really good. Uh, I, I think that also helped me sort of just get more into filming. So. Yeah, that's awesome, though, because uh, like injury take you out for a while they they take a long time to recover physically and mentally you know and it's like you still want to be part of the session or be doing something cool so it's sick to be able to find something to work on you know yeah yeah but and then like i remember getting i got a vx2000 when i was 16 that was just the best feeling ever i saved up so long for it like just was on eBay for so many months, just like trying to find one that in my price range that like wasn't a scam. Um, and when I got it, it was just like, dude, it was like life-changing. It was like getting, it was probably better than getting my first car. You know, it was like just insane. It was uh, like, I felt legit and like the, the footage looked so much better. And uh yeah. And then my, my homie like sold me his, his Mark II fisheye for like $300. And 
I remember meeting him in like a parking lot and paying him cash three hundred dollars. It was dude, so that's sick. sick. What a legend. <laughs> I know, I know. That camera is a staple, you know, like in skateboarding, so many epic videos and just so much epicness has gone down on that camera. It's crazy that it's like they discontinue it and everything. It's insane. Yeah, it's nuts. I recently just bought a VX 1000, which I've never actually had. And it's, uh, oh, the 1000. Yeah. You, yeah. Which Cause one? I got the 2000, oh, which okay, is okay. cause I was in between the one and two, but the 2000 had an LCD screen and it had better low light. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, like it doesn't, nothing can beat the, the Mark one fisheye for the VX 1000 and the, yeah. and the crispy audio. Like those are the two things that the 1000 had over the 2000. Yeah. There was so. always, I remember there's like a trade-off sort of, you know? Yeah. On each one. That's yeah. sick. Yeah. I remember we filmed with the 1000 and then the homie got the 2000 and but we've been the last few videos we did the 1000 like people are trying to keep it going i'd always be the guy who's like it's gonna go digital like it's sick we can do this we should do both you know or like just keep it going and then all the dudes are just like no we're going with this i'm like we're going with that dude <laughs> we're going v vx 1000 <laughs> till we die <laughs> yeah no i always evolved with the times like i remember the dvx came out yeah and you could make it look all cinematic like with 24p and i think uh four star super champion fun zone was like the first video that was filmed completely in dvx and it looked like super like cinematic in a way was that a girl so video was, or four star no it was four star yeah. it was like basically I, a bunch of them went to japan for most of it and then it's like the gods kind of like acting crazy like riding his bike and like throwing long boards like javelins and stuff yeah I punching remember. the camera yeah i it's it's four star i just thought a girl because like a lot of the riders i think yeah. out of the same distribution probably a lot of crossover yeah yeah that's what i got yeah so i kept like selling my so i sold my 2000 for the dvx and i sold my dvx for a dslr when those became a thing and then yeah i sold my dslr for this for like a cinema or no i kept my dslr but like you know i tried like the the rig that like jason hernandez like put out um like the first version of like filming for dslr kind of rig and then i got a glide cam because i was like working in movies i was working in like tv and film sets and i was working with steady cam operators and i was like this this tool is sick it'd be sick to like film skating with this more easily and then i found out about this tool called the glide cam which is like this 400 thing you can like unscrew it all and like put it in your backpack and i started filming with that and that was like a crazy that was a crazy experiment um but that's what ended up like becoming like the main type of skating filming that i filmed for mining the gap but now um, i've like regressed back to like where it all started with the vx because it's like i don't know there's something about it that's like nostalgic now for me yeah you just feel like you're more in the trenches that way like you're just in the action for some reason more with the vx at the bottom of some stairs or a gap or something <laughs> so funny yeah it's weird because it's like the camera that i got they're all used but the camera i got is all like glitches out every like 15 clips so it's kind of a gamble <laughs> <laughs> like i like this my homie like the other night got this really sick clip at this curb in brooklyn and uh it glitched out <laughs> uh bummer yeah <laughs> only his clip though everybody else got their clip and it was fine <laughs> uh jason hernandez his family didn't they make a handle did they design a handle? yeah it was it? like the easy handle was what it was called i got i have one i bought one. Oh, sick yeah, yeah. the can i have a can in 60d and i have his handle yeah 
yeah That's what's sick. sick is you can get i don't know who makes it but like they make a vx1000 microphone that you can plug into that and it just like screws onto the cold shoe yeah my friend sent me a photo of that i was like what <laughs> it's crazy yeah damn i'm gonna have to find that yeah you can get that vx1 Audio. yeah i was gonna say the audio is so much better yeah. well the audio is so good like yesterday i was filming without a filmer board and i was so bummed because like my long lens sounded so crispy because there was no like board rumble but then i was like filming fish that i could hear mostly my own board rumble and like took away the whole like point of so i just ordered some some um like cruiser wheels yeah solid move i've had yeah. that happen too totally I, I, and uh, what happens to me is sometimes I'll go to the park and they just play the music too loud. I always want to be like, I don't want to be that guy, but like, I'm like, turn the music down a little bit. It's some crazy techno in the background. I'm like, dude, just Wait, at, to get a at clip. the edge. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes you go, it depends on who's working. They'll play some funky stuff that's just like super loud. That's, it loses the sound of the skating and you're like, there's nothing you can really do. They drown. You got, sometimes I got to go ask them. I'm like, can you turn it down? I'm that guy. I'm killing the vibes, bro. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a balance. I feel like, I don't know. Sometimes it is too much or they're playing the wrong thing. And it's just, I don't know. It can be like a win or lose depending on what music and how loud they play. Yeah. Um, I kind of wanted to go back a little bit. Cause you mentioned like there was some craziness with your your family a little bit, like your mom and you had a stepdad and there's like, um, what was the situation like? And how, how old are you when you were go, like going through this situation? Yeah, so when my mom and I moved, or my mom and dad and I like moved to uh, Alabama and then my mom and dad split up like right away and I just like, have, I just stopped seeing my dad. I saw him like twice after that. Um, they, and, so they uh, just didn't get along and then he just never came back. It was like clean cut like that. Yeah, I guess they had like their marriage was like dissolved through like the Chinese court system because they got married in China. So it was just done through paperwork through like mail. But yeah, he just they just like split up. And then my mom and was just like working at Chinese restaurants and she got a Chinese restaurant job in California somewhere. So we moved out there and then she got another hookup in Rockford, Illinois at a Chinese restaurant. So that's what, how we ended up there. Um, and she dated this like Taiwanese chef for a while and he was like super crazy. He like threatened to slit our throats in our sleep one night after they got into an argument. But that was like the first time I really remember seeing like um, fighting in the home between like those two, between my mom and, and that chef, like they were just like, throwing stuff in the house at each other but then like how, she, how old are you roughly at then i was like seven six or seven yeah um and then uh my mom was working at this pizza restaurant which is funnily like the same pizza restaurant i ended up working at uh and they had this there was this regular that came in who ended up being my stepdad and i remember he like followed her she my mom told me she he followed her home from work and just like found out where she lived and like hung out in the parking lot at our apartment complex until he like found out like which door was was ours and like knocked on the door and like got her contact that way um that, that sounds we, that sounds crazy beef now that we have all this technology but i guess it was a long time ago <laughs> it's still kind of crazy just to follow someone to their spot yeah so crazy i mean it's crazy because my mom was only in the country for three years and she was just like, I don't know. We were also like, um, like we didn't have uh, immigration status. Like we were, you know, like 
uh, floating without any green cards or anything. So we're, we were illegal real. immigrants. That's um, real so American. She, yeah. So she, so she like, uh, got together with him. They quickly married and we quickly like moved into his place. Um, and they had a child together and then, um, this is crazy. So like she would go to work and he was like retiring at the time. Like he's, he's 12 years older than her. Um, so he's retiring as a, as like an elementary school teacher. And, um, he was, he, what was interesting about him is he had a, just, he had a disability. He couldn't bend his right leg. So he always like walked with like a, like a limp kind of thing. Yeah. Cause he got into a motorcycle accident when he was 16. Um, but I remember like she would drop me off at his place, uh, when she would go to work. I remember the first time I was ever alone with him, he had a wood burning stove. That's how he heated his house in the winter. And he asked me to go in the backyard. I was like eight years old. He asked me to go in the backyard to get some more wood. He gave me like a PVC bucket. And I just, I I don't know why I said this, but I said, no, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then he just said, no, he's good. (laughs) I just said, no, I'm good. No, thanks, man. Um, But he like grabbed me and threw me across the room like into these other like PVC buckets. And I was like, Whoa, what? Yeah. I don't, I don't know what just happened, but yeah, I, I like, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't, I didn't even think to tell my mom really. Um, but like, so for a while he just like, you know, would beat me up at home and like, while my mom wasn't there. Um, that was really confusing. I remember like getting so frustrated that like, uh, I don't know. Cause I never really like saw my mom that much. Cause like, like in China, I was like getting taken care of by grandparents. Um, my mom was always in school or working, especially as a single mom, like when she was, uh, when we were like moving around and stuff before we met him. Uh, so I, I don't know. I just felt like really like confused and alone and like angry and upset. And uh, I remember like hoping that somebody at school would notice. Cause like, I felt the most engagement with like adults and kids at school, like in elementary school. So I remember one time, Cause like the way that my, my stepdad would beat me up, he'd like, you know, like pull my hair and like drag me across the room or like just throw me into a wall. It was like nothing that would like leave like noticeable bruises or anything. So I remember one night I like went to the bathroom and just started like punching my own face to try to like bruise my cheek. So somebody at school would notice, but like, uh, I didn't, I like, I guess I didn't punch hard enough. I like punched <laughs> it to where it was like red, but I didn't, you know, it was just like, all right, this is, I can't, I'm not going to like actually hurt myself. Um, but yeah, but eventually my, my mom found out, you know, that like things were like not normal, you know, with, with me and my stepdad. And she actually sent me to go live with some Vietnamese family. I don't know how she met them. Uh, so I lived with them for like a month and that was wild. Did she, um, she just stayed there? She still lived with them? Yeah, she just still, she just like sent me off to like live with a different family. Yeah, um, for like a month that's why uh, I, d- I was super I d- confused <laughs> yeah yeah that's why because I, I was d- like nine years old you know like i didn't know what was going on yeah it doesn't make sense i mean yeah that's insane <laughs> i dealt with abusive dudes with my mom too like um this dude fred she like married him real quick similar thing but abusive like psychologically and physically like just same thing push you around but then also just you could just, they just, they, he didn't like me from the beginning, you know? So you're just kind of like, fuck, and you're the little kid and he's supposed to be the adult, you know, that type of shit. 
Yeah, that's totally what it was. It was just yeah. like, I don't know. He had it out for me. There was no, there's nothing I could do about it. There's no like right or wrong move. It's just kind of just like, hope it doesn't happen today kind of thing. Yeah. And then if you gave yourself a black eye, then it would definitely, maybe someone would say something and then that would end that maybe. But moving out works too. How'd that yeah. go? Uh, well, like I moved out only for a month and then, um, then I moved back in with, with them. And there were a couple of times where my mom like took, like both of us took us to like a motel for the night um, when fighting would get bad. But eventually she moved us into our own apartment across town. They stayed married though, partially because she had a son with, with this guy and partially because like he was, you know, like he was responsible for filling out paperwork to get us our green cards and get us our citizenship. And so yeah. he was just like, you know, he had that power. He could like hold it over her like both with custody of my, my little brother, but also of uh, our like immigration status. Um, but like when we moved out, like that was the best time. I was like 12, 13. That's like when I started skating. Hell yeah. um, I made like friends skating in that neighborhood. Uh, it just like, I could just like come home and like not have to like worry about getting beat up, you know? Um, it was sick. Uh, but then my mom told me like, we're going to move back in with him and oh, i was fuck. so pissed <laughs> i was so pissed i was like that's when i was going into freshman year of high school it was like yeah that sucked because it was uh and i was just like more rebellious you know i'd started skating i like just started staying at friends houses more and more you know like trying as much as possible not to not to come home um even when they were home i would like hide one time i like hid in like a like uh those like big uh those big like containers those like tubs plastic tubs i just like contorted myself and hid in there when they came <laughs> home because <laughs> like because i heard them like talking downstairs like oh we should get bing and like go to dinner together and i was like fuck this i'm gonna go hide in the tub <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> just get away yeah, <laughs> yeah totally okay that's amazing that's crazy man that yeah same thing like around 12 uh, wait so that's when you found skating around the same age as i did yeah yeah that's awesome it's so like it's rad because the spirit of skating like you get a go around and like you learn to deal with assholes especially if you're lurking around the streets and stuff like growing up like i learned a lot just from being out skating and filming and interacting with people and like how to manage relationships with random strangers and it's insane man learned so much from that yeah definitely it was um yeah, I mean, just being at a spot where, like, little kids would come up and fuck with you, and then if you, like, push back at them, they're like, I'm going to go home and get my brother's gun and come back. It's like, all right, I guess we'll go. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, st yeah, stuff like that would happen, you know? Yeah. yeah. Did, did you skate the city a lot, like Chicago? Uh, I didn't skate Chicago until I was a little old. Well, no, we would go to Chicago. We would go more to the Chicago suburbs. Like, I would, like, go, and, like, I started, like – becoming really good friends with those those filmer guys who and we would all like three vx's like triple angles totally unnecessary type of filming <laughs> like and then making like edits of triple angles and like having sleepovers and just editing all night like i would do that a lot once i got a car yeah um but then like yeah once i got a car and people started getting cars we were taking trips to like ohio and arizona and like wisconsin and just all over the place you know um but yeah that was 
but I didn't, I didn't really skate much of Chicago until like, honestly, until I like moved there. I moved there when I was 19. Um, it was more like other random trips to like Iowa city or like Louisville and stuff. Um, with your filming, like what, what, like, I know you film documentaries and stuff. Did it, did, how did that come to be? Is it through school and did skating lead that direction? Cause your documentary has skating involved or did you, that was a decision. No, it was just kind of like, you, we were just fucking around. Like it was like, it was, we just watched like Harmony Corinne make gummo, you know? And yeah. we were like, yeah, let's just, we can fuck around and like make weird shit as well. Like not just skate videos, but like skits and stuff. Um, it started with like, um, you know, certain videos, like the Transworld videos for a while had like some artsy segments, you know, like interviews with skaters for first love or like, you know, mosaic had like weird little like interstitials um and then like yeah right had like just complete skits you know like with owen wilson and stuff so like we were doing stuff like that like, like extensions of like the videos we we're making but then i started like actually trying to make like films um and so it was just but it was just very like diy uh but i went to community college for a year and a half in rockford and i took a like a video like their video like production classes and that was like the first time I got like proper training. Yeah. And what was, I never been to like a film class, but I imagine they're trying to show you how to film a movie or where do you start? Where's the starting point with that? Yeah. A lot of that program I think was like very technical. They had like a, like a TV studio, like mock-up and uh, I don't know. It was weird. I realized like how much I'd learned through just like DIY skating stuff, you know, like the technical stuff, at least, you know, it's like, I know what an ND filter is and what shutter speed does. And like, you know, it was like, I felt like I had a leg up technically. Um, but yeah, I, I think like, had I gone to a, maybe like a full fledged film school, I probably would have learned something that would have like been probably even more helpful, which is um, like storytelling techniques, like narrative science almost. Yeah. you know like what is narrative what is drama kind of um which i like learn a little bit later in life like doing you know during my late 20s i think yeah um how how'd you get into filming for uh movies and other sets and tv shows i've seen you film for a whole bunch of stuff yeah so i was 19 and i was working at target and and i was still working that dishwashing job like I was like starting to serve tables though um, at that pizza restaurant. And I was like, I, you know, I was going to community college and I was like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. You know, um, maybe I can like try to make money doing like video stuff. Um, and so I, I, like I said, I was like doing side stuff outside of skate videos. I made a music video for my friend and I showed him my, my like rough cut in his basement and his friend who was there was a stand-up comic who had just done a stand-up comedy show at a loft studio in downtown Rockford. And the owner of this loft studio was this guy, Tom Secura and who had rented it out for a comedy show. But it turns out Tom was like doing these local commercials and he, he needed some help. So this comedian gave me Tom's card and was like, you should call him. So I just cold called this guy, Tom, I think like maybe that night I was like, Hey man, I'm this guy who like knows video stuff. If you ever need any help, I'm, I'm around. And he was like, what are you doing tonight? That's <laughs> so sick. I show up at like 10 or 11 PM 
and it was like April 13th or 14th or something. And it was like trying to do taxes for his whole like LLC or whatever. Like, um, and it was just like unshaven, like looked like you'd been up for three days, like paperwork everywhere. And he was like, I need this car commercial cut going to, to that edit room and like, like edit this car commercial. Here's some Red Bull, you know? <laughs> and so I just stayed up like literally all night editing this car commercial and, uh, in the morning, he like, you know, sat me down. He was like, look, when I was your age, like I, he was like, I didn't get to go to college. And when I was your age, I just wish somebody would have taken me under their wing and uh, like taught me, taught me the film business, you know, um, and maybe pay me. And he was like, I can't always pay you, but I can teach you a lot. I can teach you everything you need to know if you stick with me. Um, and so that's what I did. Uh cool. And he started taking me out on like everything from like local furniture commercials, um, but also out to like work on big like film productions in Chicago because he was in the camera union and he would get called sometimes to go like take those jobs. Um, yeah. And then he told me like, don't go to film school. You know, it's a waste of money. Go get something in like liberal arts or something useful. And so that's what I did. I went to school for English. Um, uh, at University of Illinois in Chicago when I moved out. And uh, all the while I was like doing these freelance jobs for him on the side. And at the time I was like, this is crazy. I can make like $150 a day doing like PA work or whatever, or like grip work. Um, and then like that number went up even more once uh, I was graduating. He was like, hey, there's this movie I'm gonna go be a focus puller on. I need a second assistant camera person, uh, but you have to join the union. And I was like, yeah, let me join the union. Um, but it ended up costing me like, I think like $1,500 just or $3,000 or something just to join. So like all of my earnings from that first movie that I did, like basically all went towards my initiation fee to join. Yeah. But on the positive side, I like started getting health insurance and stuff, which is nice. Yeah. It's like an initial investment up, up front, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's so crazy. It's crazy how that someone would be like that cool to take you in and be like, go for it. Yeah, I owe Tom everything. Tom, if you're listening to this, thank you. Dude, hell yeah. That's a solid move, man. People need yeah. uh sometimes need some help like that. Sick. Yeah. We talked me and you talked about it with like Steve Rodriguez and Fibro and he kinda did the same thing for me, like yeah, you want to be a pro, like I'll try to help you figure it out together, you know, and then open up opportunities, which is so cool. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I wish there was more stories of that, of like how how far mentorship goes and how far like just, you know, lending support goes, you know. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Try to I try to do that like with the young bucks, dude. I just took them all street skating yesterday. I had uh seven of them in the van, and they're all like from nine to fifteen years old. And we just went to New Bedford where I grew up skating and took them all to all the spots, all the street spots that I was like, we're not gonna get kicked out of, you know? They, <laughs> dude, they killed it. They were beasting yesterday. That's so, wild. Yeah, it was so fun. I, all I all I did was film. I didn't even really I skated a little bit, but they just did all the ripping. 
And I listened to him complain about how the rough the ground was because they're all used to skate parks. <laughs> they don't even know about the streets yet. Like, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, their first yeah. time out there. <laughs> it's getting bloody. They're just going to start building calluses in their palms from the blood. Oh, uh, uh, dude, they're showing me. They're like looking at their <laughs> knees and they, like, they'd fall and be like, this ground's so rough. <laughs> yeah welcome welcome <laughs> yeah same thing same thing skating in the midwest it's just like the worst ground. <laughs> yeah yeah it's all weathered man it's just get rains and snows yeah. and dumps and chicago gets some pretty rough winters like or outside illinois i mean yeah yeah i'm actually surprised because like new york isn't as bad like because it's i don't know i don't know what it is i guess the winter doesn't last as long here or something yeah um, but it's yeah, it's just like somehow the streets and stuff are like, I mean, they're not, none of them are as smooth as skate park ground or California or whatever, but it's, you know, a little smoother than, than like Rockford. Some of those avenues are really smooth skating down. Yeah. So good. You just, find so it. you just glide. Yeah. It's the best feeling. <laughs> how do you like the city, man? How long you been, how long you been in New York? Yeah. Since August. So like coming up on like seven seven months seven eight months yeah how you um, yeah it's cool i live right down the street from blue park um a little further away is cooper i'm right by uh the brooklyn labor skate shop right which is right next to substance which is also right next to my favorite dive bar like anchored in um, what's the dive so bar it's called anchored in it's just oh. like uh i don't know it's like a sick like low-key place with two pool tables and cheap oh, sick beer so yeah that sounds awesome i love pool and cheap beer sounds good too yeah that's awesome um yeah brooklyn's so fun last time i just went there too it's so fun man definitely gotta yeah. link up definitely gotta go up there again and say hi i know well i gotta yeah either way like whether i come up to new bedford you come down here we gotta film some some vx vx1 clips yeah, dude, definitely come hang out. You should come. You should come one time when I have the Groms too. Like you can come film the gnarly dudes, but you'll you'll get a trip out of. Be if I get you in the van and you come to film, that would be sick, dude. You <laughs> you trip out, dude. These kids rip. Yeah, we should make an edit of like a Grom edit. Yeah, definitely. It'd be fun, dude. It's so it was so funny. I was just laughing to myself the whole time, dude. They're fighting over shotgun and stuff, all for the first time. You know, I'm like, I've done this so long ago. You guys are so far behind. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. My friend Chloe was ripping. She's uh like 12 or 13 and she rips, dude. And she told her mom, her mom was like, yeah, she's, she didn't think she skated very good. And I, I was just bragging to my lady. I'm like, dude, Chloe was ripping the whole day and she didn't think she was skating very good. She actually was the only one who got a clip too. Like everyone got clips, but they're like vlog clips. She got a clip that I was like, I kind of want to like save this for a part, you know? Oh damn, that's sick. Yeah, like out of the we had seven it was eight of us all together. So there's like six other kids and then she was the only girl and she got the clip, I think. And they were everyone kinda agreed on it. They're like, Yeah, that was the clip of the day, which is awesome. That's rad. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Um, yeah, yeah I, I I remember like you showed me a new Bedford a little bit when we first did our first like interview and then um and then we skated that like underneath the bridge in Boston. Yeah, that spot is insane. That was a kind of rough spot. I don't even know if it's skatable still. Was the Lynch Family Park there at the time? I don't think so. I think it was just like two rainbow, like two sets of rainbow ledges. Um, and then like some rocks and like skatable rock ledges kind of thing. Yeah, I remember that day. That was so fun. 
Yeah, they got they got Lynch right there. It's like on the other side of the bridge because I think we skated over that bridge and down into the spot and like where we started. I think that's where Lynch is now. It's full skate park under the bridge. It's, yeah, it's surreal, dude. And then you took me like to like the PJ Lad Wonderful Horrible Life tour of like you know all those like spots they skated. In that yeah, video. yeah, he's they killed it. They all killed those spots. <laughs> yeah. It's good to see him though, because that video was iconic. Yeah. Is Coliseum still around? No, it hasn't been for a while, man. I don't even uh, really know the story about it. I don't know what happened there. It's one to look into, I guess. Yeah. I'm so used to just being like going to New Bedford and so we have Solstice Skate Shop there. It's still going and Coliseum had their own vibes. I knew about them because they would come to Skaters Island, which is an indoor park that everyone used to skate at. And like Jeremy and Ryan Galan and PJ and all of them would come in. And then I would be like, what's Coliseum? Because they're all repping it, you know? And then the video dropped and you're like, oh, okay. That's but crazy I that like Solstice, because like Solstice was around when you were like 14, but it's still going. Like, I wonder what skate shops, like how that skate shop stays in business because you know my friend eric newbauer who runs ground floor skateboards in rockford i mean he he started that with his with his um uh with his wife uh, or, his, or his you know his wife who passed away um alicia like they sort of did that as a side project because alicia is working as a architect and eric is a school teacher and so like that's how they're able to keep that afloat it's like not really making money it's just sort of like whatever he gets like he puts it back in the shop you know like i don't know how people do it unless they do like nike shoe drops or something you know no yeah i'm under that impression too is like location definitely is really important if you can get a good location with a lot of foot traffic and then you got to have the business plan to kind of like work with that but there's a lot of shops that just get by like on building and maintaining skate crews and communities and helping out local people. And like, it's all like putting it back into it, you know, like Jay is a minimalist too. Like he's kind of left his life. I know he works part-time uh, veterinarian as a veterinarian, like doing, helping them out. I don't know exactly what, but, um, but yeah, it's not like, uh, living high off the hog you know like it's a um, labor of love and just trying to figure out how to keep it going it's been like 20 25 years for solstice which is insane and he's always been like nothing flashy riding a bike had the same pickup truck that like s10 for like so long and like just this just a solid human too you know uh yeah we need those people for sure <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, skate shop is a crazy one, man. It's hard. It's a hard thing to like keep it going and like find a way to make a living, you know, which is crazy because they provide so much value, I feel. Yeah, definitely. I mean, because we had the station when I was growing up, um, it was just a place to hang out and kick it and, you know, talk to older skaters, you know, where they can't like escape you because they're working. Yeah. Even though you're a little kid, <laughs> you're like, they're like forced to interact with you. Yeah. You yeah. just get all the information, figure out how you're acting, how you should be acting. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah they yeah. become kind of like, yeah, you're like communal big brothers or something. Yeah. Totally, dude. That's what a skate shop has been for me for a lot of it's insane. Yeah. That's a hustle though, man. I dream of doing a skate, having a skate shop one day. I, I think about it all the time because it just seems like a cool idea 
to have that hangout for kids and be able to curate it and make it like something you pictured in your mind and like actually lay it out and work with the space and then see it like i all the skate shops around here i love they did they've done that uh in an awesome way we actually have a good amount of skate shops too that are surviving we got Borden house which i think they survive pretty well because they're like in a beach town so they get like surf and skate which helps out um solstice civil civil skate shop in rhode island they i think they have two locations which is rad that's kind of strange because one's like in providence proper and then the other one's outside of it so it's like two different business models you know um yeah it's crazy with the shoes like sometimes that works I feel like Nocturnal maybe is like an example of that with the shoes. You get like a Nike account, you're in a city on a busy street, a lot of foot traffic. You get like more than just skateboarders in the door, you know? Yeah, that's how I just ordered a order from Uprise in Chicago today, but that's how they do it. They just, they do a lot of like sneaker drops. They also partner with Vans, but they're like in between two very like um hip neighborhoods wicker park and logan square so they get a lot of just like walk-ins and foot traffic yeah and if skateboarding is cool to people that don't skate then that'll help your business you know because totally. i'll come in and just buy a bunch of stuff you're like yeah <laughs> <Sick>. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but just yeah. like strictly core skate shops that's like a hard thing I, did you see consolidated went out of business or they're shutting down shop they're calling it quits oh damn no i yeah. didn't see that they've been around for so long which is crazy and their whole slogan was don't do it. Like they're anti-corporation, like pure skateboarding, you know? Yeah, um, that's, yeah, that's like ironic. It's like saying something bigger, maybe that they're going out. I was actually, I went to this like, um, like uh, DJ set uh, Saturday night and like the lobby had this, um, had like the consolidated squares as their tiles. And I was like, just, that's so crazy. Um, yeah, that's yeah. wild. It was it was it consolidated or do they just had the same exact like logo? No, they just had the same exact logo. Oh, that's why. Although maybe I don't know, maybe like that was part of the, maybe that's where they got the logo from. Maybe they were in that building. I just didn't know it. Yeah, that'd be crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that that that's blowing my mind. They, I think they've been in business for like thirty years too, with Tisha and uh, Berto. Um. They like ran consolidated. I had um them come on the podcast or uh, a while back, and they were telling me about how such a such a nuisance Andy Roy was. How they loved him. <laughs> they had like a love hate relationship with Andy Roy. <laughs> yeah, crazy story. Yeah, you're kind of signing up for both sides there. Yeah, um, yeah, that was a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird, like growing up a certain era when you like grew up like being a part like seeing that campaign of don't do it like it still has an effect on me like i think i've only owned a few pair of nikes like nike skate shoes in my life because i think maybe because of that campaign it like subconsciously got at me you know yeah i don't think i've ever owned any nikes in my life i think because once maybe before i skated someone got me a pair but i've never like i don't think i've ever bought any yeah. probably because of that attitude because of that I like i think so yeah i think if like you didn't like weren't aware or weren't exposed to that campaign it just you know i don't know what other what other like conversation was happening as like direct as that campaign about calling calling out what was happening at the time you know yeah 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 that's that see that makes me a little sad that they're going out now makes it yeah kind of, feels like there's a void might be a void dude yeah i mean what's crazy is like 
I think it's like, I don't know if you know Kyle Beachy. He wrote the book, The Most Fun Thing. Um, it's like a collection of essays. Kyle is a, a writing professor in Chicago, uh, originally from St. Louis, but I met him through skating in Chicago. And he, um, he, he wrote a lot for Jankum. And he just wrote a lot of think pieces over the years. Um, and he like has a lot of takes on like the corporatization of, of skateboarding and like what it kind of the, you know, what it's, what it's done in positive ways, but, you know, he's sort of also like mourning, you know, like what it's done to like quell essentially like independent skate shoes, you know? Um, yeah, dude. There's a lot of crazy stories about corporate shoes coming in and their relationship with skate shops and how there's a lot that di it didn't benefit them, you know, as much as there are ones that it worked for. That was like a big thing in skateboarding. What? So it's Kyle Beachy. I've heard his name. Kyle Beachy. Yeah, yeah. He he, his book, the most fun thing. I'm just basically become a plug for it, but it really is a, uh, like a thinker. You know, it's it really he he looks at just all types of he sort of like deconstructs skating you know like yeah. economically philosophically emotionally um it's just like it's you know i think like oftentimes it's like hard to write about skating without coming off a little bit like you know like cheesy or whatever but um i think kyle really does a good job of of it no it sounds sick i'm gonna check it out for sure that sounds awesome yeah I like, I like that stuff. I like when there's like skateboarders growing up. I always liked certain skateboarders that were not just like tricks and they had a personality and they like shared it and like, or they had something other than just being a good skateboarder, you know, whether you're a writer or those were like my favorite skateboarders. I vibed with yeah. a lot of the photographers and filmers too, because they had something other than skating that they were a part of. Yeah, yeah, because I was never, I, I don't think I ever, like, was able to be, um, I, yeah, I, I never was able to, like, keep up conversations about skating. I never, like, followed it as closely as a lot of the skaters I filmed. Um, so I always felt a little, like, on the outside, because I think I was, like, became more interested in, like, I, I was, like, really influenced by skater artists, I think, you know, people who are, like, painting or making music or making films or photography, you know, yeah. as well as skating. So yeah, I relate to that. Yeah, that's sick. Um, but yeah, just writing about skating, just thinking about that. There's some good writers that from skateboard magazines that, like, uh, do you know Chris Naraco, Jersey? Uh, yeah, I you know, know of him. Yeah, yeah. There's some like awesome dudes who wrote some crazy sick articles that I got turned on to. Like, I never really, really thought about writing or being a writer or anything at, until I looked at skate mags or read the articles. And then I was like, wow, this is a thing too, you know, like people write <laughs> and are really good. Clyde too. Actually I had Clyde on the podcast too. He's like pretty good at writing too. It's awesome to see him do that. It's so cool. Yeah. It's wild to think of people that, you know, that like work, like I have this friend Ted Schmitz that I skate with sometimes and he lives out here now, but he like writes the copy for like the videos and thrasher and uh <laughs> if you met him he's like kind of the perfect guy for the job he's sort oh, of sick. just like um he just like you know uh is like a skate lingo generator <laughs> he's just like he's like very like quick-witted you know yeah you need that guy especially for thrasher like you yeah. need that guy for sure yeah yeah, sometimes captions are the fucking hardest thing to write, dude. I'm like, sometimes just leave it with nothing because I can't do it. I'm like, can't do this. It's too much pressure. <laughs>
yeah you you're sort of like a wear 40 hats type of person you know running your company like i guess you have to do like the the copy and the marketing and the social and all that stuff on top of like the business side and top of like the manufacturing and like supply chain side it's like crazy yeah it's a lot i had i had some help for a while like uh one of my team riders who's actually pro for world now kevin clem his board actually just came today i got the graphics and all new pro models i was pretty stoked to like that was my day i was really excited because i went in i saw the boxes i'm like there the graphics have made it like I've been waiting forever through the sketches, watching it all come in now to see the finished product and open the box. Everything looked so minty and crispy and like the colors are vibrant. Um, but yeah, Kevin, Kevin was an intern for me for a while for school. He like worked it out to be an intern for all I need. And he was helping me with like podcasting and writing all the captions and all the uploading. And he was like killing it, you know? But uh, he wants to rip more than he wanted to work at that time, <laughs> or more than I could pay him probably to. <laughs> yeah. Which is so funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I went in there and I just like pressed some boards because we had some boards. We had some, <clears throat> we had some orders already pre-sold for the new graphics and they finally came in. So I was like, that was all he's doing all day. It was like the best feeling. I even like set up my, I got this like ring light. So I set the camera up and I can film like pressing, heat pressing the graphics on, uh, doing that for each one, bunch of new graphics. Um, and I've been messing around with like a direct to garment printer cause we got one at my work now. So I've been working on a bunch of new designs and doing a bu bunch of test prints, like all the fun stuff, less emails and like more the, the art side of things and seeing products finished. It's like the best feeling. That's rad, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. I mean, you're, you're living the dream. It's Dude. uh Yeah. Yeah. Super stoked. Super stoked. We're doing a lot of cool stuff and there's like the kids are ripping, the team's ripping. We got new stuff coming out where we've been working on stuff for a long time. It's been really awesome, man. So, so I kind of want to get back to like, with filming, have you gotten to travel much? Because me and you were just in SF. Like, have you traveled a lot through just filming? Yeah, I have. I mean, initially it was, uh, I mean, not not as much until, like, you know, I would do like little like distant location, like higher jobs, like when I was doing camera stuff. Like I'd go to like New York or Dallas or LA or whatever, like every once in a while. But most of my like camera stuff was in Chicago local but then when Minding the Gap premiered and like it started getting buzz we had all these film festivals inviting me out to go like attend the festivals for like Q&A and you know filmmaker appearances and like that year from 20 the years 2018 and 2019 I like traveled the world it was crazy like wow. and I was also working on my follow-up documentary um and so it was like trying to juggle that with like these places that I was like trying to go to for free, you know? Um, so it ended up being like little trips where I like would go to Munich for 36 hours, like fly there, have jet lag for the whole time I'm there, then fly back and like deeply regretting it. But like also kind of like going like, well, you know, I had to do it. You know, when else am I going to be able to go to Munich? Yeah. Kind of thing. But yeah, it was, I was able to go all over with that film, like all over the world. Like, Switzerland and Sweden and like it was my first time in Europe went to China um was able to see my family when I was in China with the film 
yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe how the maybe tell people a little bit about mining mining the gap and the storyline and and what happened with the documentary. Yeah. So mining the gap was just like so I was working in the camera department on movies and TV, and um, I kept making my own little like short films on the side, like and I would just throw them up on Vimeo. Um, but I, I think I was, I also used, I also was like, I wasn't just making film, like short films. I think I was like trying to make things that, um, helped me make sense of what had happened to me, like in my household, what had happened to me, like growing up and what was happening with my friends and how they were dealing with it. Um, cause I didn't want anything that I experienced to, you know, like to, to be forced upon anybody else. Um, I wanted to break the cycle basically of, of violence, um, so I was, you know, like I had this like idea of, okay, what if I make a skate video where I like feature uh, really good skaters, influential skaters, um, and just like also have them be very vulnerable and talk about, you know, their, their childhood, how they deal with like emotions, how they deal with like being an adult, you know? Um, and so I, I started just like meeting interesting people and uh, interviewing them and filming them skating. I was just like doing road trips around the country, basically, like staying on friends' couches. How um, are you finding the people or picking the people? I, you know, at that point, because of like the connections I had built, um, I just like would, I, I would just like know one homie in like, um, I don't know, like Portland. And so I would just go to Portland, stay with them. They'd introduce me to friends. And, you know, I think you can, like all skaters know right away, like you're skating with a group and there's just like one person who's like really interesting, you know, either they are just saying interesting things or they're being very quiet and you're like, there's something going on, like, you know, behind that quietness. And so it was like that. And, um, and most of the time, yeah, it was just like, people had just really, were either like really vulnerable or had really interesting things to say. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I was, I went to like Arizona and LA and Portland and New York, and Minneapolis, St. Louis, Florida, Austin, just like all types of people. There was, I was interviewing, um, uh, like women skaters. I was interviewing like 12 year olds. I was interviewing like 45 year olds. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was just like a bit, I was just trying to like go really wide with the demographic. And then I ended up interviewing Andrew Cannon in Arizona. And he was the one who was like, have you, do you know, have you tried interviewing Anthony Shetler? You should go hit him up. And so he gave me your contact. That's what led me to hit you up in 2013. Um, and then of course you like opened up about your story and what you, you had gone through and how you were dealing with it and what you're doing now at the time in 2013. And, uh, you, you guys were all just like this big sort of ensemble and it, it was, I just kind of like edited it like along the way. And it was like this sort of like sprawling meandering thing. And then, uh, but I was also going back to, I also like interviewed a couple of people, a few people in Rockford where I grew up. Um, and then I did this fellowship with this uh, Chicago company called Cartempwin. Um, and they're best known for the film that they produced in 1994 called Hoop Dreams. Um, but they've been around since the 60s. 
but they they did a fellowship where they like taught me documentary techniques and like taught me about the documentary industry and i realized like oh you know you can make films like hoop dreams out of documentaries it doesn't just have to be like interview b-roll kind of thing it can feel like a narrative movie and so i was like yeah maybe i should try following like less people more deeply and more longitudinally um and shoot it a little different like actually just shoot their like film their lives film them just like living their lives and like making choices in their lives um and so that's what led me to like eventually focus on these two boys in rockford because you know one uh they were like they were very special one of them was about to become a dad when i started filming him and one of them was just like super emotionally like vulnerable and uh and two it was just like so much closer to chicago where i was living than some of these other places and so i followed them over the course of three or four years um and then i ended up kind of being in the film like later on it was a decision that came out of what was happening in their lives and then i got like old archival footage of them and it edited in and it felt like a 12 year movie instead of a three, four, three or four year movie. And then we got funded by PBS and Sundance. And then we got into the Sundance Film Festival and it just like, it won an award and people fell in love with it, played all these festivals around the world and ended up getting nominated for an Academy Award, an Emmy. We won a Peabody Award, oh. won all these awards at these festivals. Uh, and then it like the Criterion Collection like released it on DVD, and it was just like insane. It was so insane. I got to meet like Barack Obama and Tony Hawk and Jerry Sue and like all these people through through <laughs> just touring with the wait, film. Wait, 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 did you say <laughs> Barack Obama, Tony Hawk, and Jerry Sue? That's yeah. I, those are just three of the people off the top of my head. I mean, I those are so my favorites. <laughs> yeah, my those favorite. are the best. Jerry Susan with Obama. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And it's crazy. Like, because I'm in the film a little bit, like I still get recognized like all the time. And so it's kind of weird, you know, like people recognizing me from the film, Did like, you especially know- in New York where you're like running into people all the time. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a trip. Yeah. Did you know that, could you feel something when you were recording it? Like when you narrowed down on the, the certain people and like, could you feel the momentum being like, this is going to be something like, Kind of. Yeah. I mean, when I was, well, no, I mean, I could feel the momentum, but like, not like it wasn't, I I think it was different. Like it's different now. And like filmmakers ask me, like emerging filmmakers ask me this all the time. They're like, you know, what was it? Did you know you were sitting on a gold mine or whatever? You know, like I didn't really understand what any of this, any of the parts of the journey individually that I was going to be on like you know an academy award nomination or like a film festival in munich just like i didn't know what that meant or what that was um really it was just like i was just making it because i felt like i needed to like as a form of like emotional survival or just almost like literal survival like i had friends like ODing, i had friends like you know like getting divorces i had friends like kind of go like following in the footsteps of their parents in toxic ways and it was just like and I was like, I was an alcoholic for a long time. Um, I mean, I still drink, but like, you know, I, 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 str- I struggle with like how to, how to like come out of like what I went through, you know, and I was struggling. And so like that film was sort of like a way of trying to deal with that. Um, so it was like almost more about that than like 
okay yeah you know like this like measure of success you know i i was um, think i was thinking more yeah. like if it was getting to the point where you're like whoa i'm like it's a lot to manage you know like you're like i don't know i feel like if i started creating something and then it started getting all that buzz it would might create a lot of responsibility we're like whoa what the hell like this was just make i was just making something before and now it's like a whole lot you know got you yeah totally yeah i wonder if you feel that way too with all i need you know with how much it's like grown and become like this thing that's like bigger than you know I, what it started as i think about that like because if you support people and you get people involved in a, a thing that's a lot of emotion and feeling and heart behind it it definitely like <clears throat> it's a lot of responsibility like especially so i feel that sometimes with all i need um but making a film like <clears throat> like that is pretty wild so yeah you, you i mean I, that I, you had that driving force of just like i'm making this and then that kept you focused on it and your friends and it was out of necessity it's kind of the same with building a brand it's this the with building all i need it was the same concept it was like i i, <clears throat> I have to do this for my own sanity you know yeah and but you're right like it does become like a weird responsibility like nobody trains you to be and i'm sure you know like nobody trains you to be like sort of you know you sort of become a therapist and sort of a parent and also like a business person and like also um i don't know some sort of like brand manager for your own self kind of too and it's like uh yeah it's weird like it's all it's it's a lot of responsibility i think um, yeah. And that can get scary, dude. So like for a long time in my life, I would just put off that type of stuff. Cause I didn't want to be responsible for other people or whatever. And I just would be like, less is more, or, you know, like I don't want all this, but then at some point I was like, if you really, like, then you really do, you're like, yeah, I want to do this. This would be so cool. And like you get, I got past myself a little bit where I was like, all right, I got to like get better and figure this out. Give me more confidence, you know? But I was just thinking like as a beginning filmmaker and like that was like, was that your first documentary? Yeah. I mean, I had done other docs, but again, there were just like shorts that I threw up on Vimeo and yeah. it was like just very DIY. Like I never anticipated or I never thought I was going to become, you know, give, be given the opportunity. Like now I like make a living as a film director, which is weird. Like I thought I was just going to climb my way up the camera department and be a camera operator or something one day, like retire as a camera operator. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's strange like to, to be in this new reality. Like, I don't know if you ever expected to like own your own company, like manage your own team and like, uh, <laughs> no, no. I started with just like, how do I keep skateboarding in my life? That was literally like, the you know like the lifeline you're like i need to yeah. do this this is what's helping me progress and it's helping me build my identity and my future and i was like how do i keep this going and play a role you know and then if you just keep going you find ways you can do it usually you have to get better <laughs> so i had to get better i had to be get a schedule i had to be more responsible i had to focus on things that i wanted to happen before i just like everyone sponsored me i was just like really good at skating i could hyper focus on one thing that i already wanted to and indulge in you know yeah that's what's weird about i think in a weird way like filming filmmaking is sort of like that for me like the reason why i got a vx1000 i think again is also because it's just like it allows me to make something on my own terms and it's just like pure creativity you know and yeah. i think like because filmmaking has become like so much of like a work thing now like a pressure thing and uh it's no longer about 
the like there's always like these forces of like pressures of like money and marketing and like timing and schedule or whatever and like that uh i don't know just makes it impure or something it makes it less like sincere and i think like yesterday like just going and meeting up with like and filming my friend who's just like microdosing on shrooms and then just like filming like a dead rat in the street like that <laughs> with a fisheye like that is that's like you know nobody's nobody gonna pay me to do that and, and i don't think anybody should pay me to do that you know like i just want to like do that for myself and then like set like some sick song up for the rat the fisheye you know oh, dude <laughs> i was already thinking about the song <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious that's yeah. how I am with the van or with the crews, like going out, like take, I'm responsible, but it's like, I load them up and I'm so good at going on skate trips. Cause I did it for a lot of my adult life was just get in the van and fucking travel that like, it, that's how I am now. That's the same feeling. I just get them all in the van and I'm like, I feel like I'm younger again and I'm watching these dudes get to do it. And it's just so sick. It's like no work, no emails. We're just out for the whole day, getting in and out of the van where we're talking shit and then running out into the city, finding a cool spot, blowing their minds, <laughs> taking some slams. I totally get it. Yeah. I mean, this is cool that we're talking like this is the two, I think like the two main times we've like hung out one, I was interviewing you like for what would become mine in the gap. And then recently we were in San Francisco working in this museum exhibit that you're going to be a part of, um, which it's called the empathy museum. It's like going to open in 2023, but it's put on by uh, this organization called futures without violence, which is this amazing organization that's just like fought against violence of all forms, mostly gender-based violence um, over the past few decades. But yeah, you're like, so the other time we've like interacted is like, we literally built like a skate, like hangout, like skate shop hangout area as like a set. And you sent like boards um, and you like brought out like one of your pros, Evan. Um, and like you sat on a couch and just like bared your, you like, you told your story, but I think you went deeper than anything I am aware of you know, view that's out there. Um, and I think it's going to be really special. And I think a lot of like, a lot of kids for, you know, hopefully ever, like are going to be able to like experience your story and get something from it. Um, but so it's like interesting that like, where you've only seen me like in sort of work mode, and this is like more hangout mode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, kind of yeah. when we were out there in the Presidio, right? That's what yeah. it. that was crazy being like, I was like kind of nervous to be involved like when you but it, since you since I talked to you already and we hung out and skated together I was like Bing's awesome and then I looked into your work and I was like oh he's doing cool things like it's a positive thing so I was like when you asked me I was a little nervous just because nowadays everything's so crazy you know it's like I just don't know what angle anything's coming from ever but since you were involved I was really stoked to be involved because I was like dude he's solid you know so I said I was like yeah I'm down and it's kind of hard to like relive this stuff again and again but since it was such a cool opportunity you know like um is it the courage museum and oh yeah it's called the courage museum and then within the courage museum it's yeah there's these things called the empathy mirrors yeah yeah that's what it is and um uh, basically it's going to be near a high school right you were saying 
or they were well it's the presidio is this like it used to be a military base but then they started leasing it out to like they started turning like old like officer barracks into officer quarters into like apartments and they also leased out all these old buildings to like organization like the like organizations in like um offices so but there's like a walt disney museum there there's a bowling alley there there's like other things there and a lot of like I think a lot of high schoolers like come through to like go on field trips. So um, it's not just high schoolers, but like uh, we like the organization Futures Without Violence thinks like uh, these interviews with folks like you are going to have a particular impact on young people like these like high school students who come through. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I totally agree with that. When I when we were talking to them in person, I was like, yeah, that hopefully I can help some kid. Because when I was that age, if I could have went to an exhibit where you could sit down, because the concept is you sit down in front of the screen and the person who's telling their story is sitting in a chair and you're sitting in a chair across from them and you're both like the same size because the screen's life size. And it's a crazy because you're in a little pod and you're just like, it's crazy just to meet someone like that digitally. I don't know. Has it ever been done? You think? Is this the first uh, time they're not doing that it? I know of. Yeah, it's weird because we had to like we had to film everything sideways because it's going to be presented in a sideways TV because it's going to feel like you're sitting sort of like across from somebody in a room or like across from somebody at a table or something. Yeah, like a mirror, um, like a mirror image of you of someone else on the other side. Yeah. Yeah, it's like supposed to be like one to one ratio. So it's supposed to feel like real life, like true to size. And then so like you hear, there's like, I think going to be 12 people that are featured to start, but you hear like each, like you choose the, which one you want to go to and you hear like a five minute version of like their story. Um, so I think your story is probably going to be about like, you know, seeing like experiencing your dad get killed and then moving with your mom and sort of seeing her struggle and then become like finding skating and finding positivity through that. And then after that core story, there's like a kind of a choose your own adventure kind of aspect where you get to ask like follow-up questions, like what did it feel like going through this experience or, you know, how did you find like positivity in the struggle, things like that. And then you'll hear like, you know, you'll hear like in this case, you, Anthony, giving a response. And then you also ask the person uh, questions, you know, like I think one of the questions you asked was, um, I don't know, like, what is it that you, what is all you need in life? You know, yeah. because you, you also described like what all I need is as a, as a brand, but also as like a concept, it's like, all I need is skating, water, food, you know, it's like love, you know, like loved ones, friends, like, it's like, you know, getting back to the basics. Um, but yeah. And so like, they can choose to either answer that, like on these iPads that they're given, and then it posts to like this big wall in the museum, or they can privately email it to themselves to like, you know, sort of have like a, like a note to self for later, but that's kind of like the idea of these empathy mirrors. And this is just one exhibit and it's part of a larger museum, but it's like the featured exhibit. Oh, sick. Yeah. My yeah. favorite part. Cause I, when we got there, I'll get to tell you a little bit about our trip. So we flew in, we landed in San Francisco. We took a Uber to the Presidio, to the hotel drove through city blocks and it was crazy because it's all city blocks and most of the city looked all right like i was like didn't know what i was getting into 
we're driving through normal during the day getting through and then you hit the presidio and it's all trees and i'm like whoa this is such a contrast between city blocks like within one block there's all city and then it's all trees and i didn't i didn't realize that was like a barracks but that makes way sense that it used to be like an army barracks there was we have a lot of buildings like that around here the mills the old mills where they used to do all the uh clothes manufacturing and all types of manufacturing and all these mills out here in new england and they looked like them they looked like this similar you know um but my favorite part was uh when i went there and we did the they had the prototype and it was was it chanel yeah chanel miller did like miller, that initial right. thing yeah, yeah prototype. sitting down and like seeing her prototype walking in sitting down with evan and meeting chanel through like the the computer watching the empathy mirror and my favorite part was the questions like i got really i listened to her thing and then the question part was the funnest part like i didn't want i wanted to click on all the questions before i left because it was so interesting it was cool to see the layers and different responses and like it added depth to like what her initial story was and it was it was way longer than what i thought i wanted to i could have stayed there even longer that's then, cool. They're, they'll probably be psyched to hear hear your feedback. I would have interactivity if, was helpful was if, engaging. Yeah, if I had the chance to go in all twelve, I would go to all twelve and click on all the questions. I'd look go through them all. It would be amazing because wow. I was I. It was cool to hear Chanel's story and like meet someone complete a complete stranger and like hear their story. It was like an honest, fair take on their story, which was like crazy it's an it's it's a really crazy experience well yeah it's crazy because like i think in this day and age it just feels so like it's it feels so rare these days just sit down and have a conversation that's not like you know uh broadcast or like you know like not filtered through some sort of like uh self-awareness of like um social media or um I don't know. It's just, I feel like I don't, that's what I found striking about the Chanel um, prototype was just like, you just sort of, it's kind of like going into a movie in the middle of the day. And then you like walk out and it's like, well, it's daytime out. Like I just got lost in this other world. You yeah. know, like that doesn't happen anymore with like an individual interaction, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's cause yeah. you have to walk in and it's full size and it does feel like a theater experience. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, so the then we so we got the hotel which was awesome they gave us the wine and cheese i was <laughs> after a long flight i was like that's perfect and um some of the people from the um coverage museum they they brought us some a basket which was sick too shout out thank you so much uh evan came out with me which was awesome and then the next day we met up with you guys and we filmed all day and we went down by the golden gate that was so awesome, dude. That was so beautiful too, where we went to. That was insane, man. Uh, yeah, it was I forget which battery it was, but it was like that battery spot that like has those two hips that um, you know, you probably see seen in past videos. But yeah, yeah. the Golden Gate Bridge in one background and then like the ocean and then like this like hillside of like San Francisco neighborhood houses far away like all at sunset is crazy yeah it was like a 180 degree view too is the whole thing from like you could just look from left to right and it was like the ocean cliffs beautiful golden great bridge that yeah, was... and it was it was after like six hours of just you like having a very like emotionally vulnerable conversation and you were like exhausted but then like i 
I kept asking you to like basically bomb a hill over and over again. So I could like film you with this camera and you were like, I could do this all day. Like this is way easier than just talking about, you know, like, you know, like my, my story. Yeah. Um, Cause it's exhausting, you know, doing it. Yeah. And you, you, you guys were like, Hey, when I was like talking about my story and I was getting like kind of upset, you guys were like, you want to go out and skate? And I kind of like put it off for a little bit. And then when I went out and skate, I was like, Oh my God, I feel like I just like, <laughs> let an emotional dump and i was like smiling happy me and evan slappy to curve i was like this is like this is why skating helps you know just try helps you process i i was able to go talk about it and share all that stuff because i was able to go outside and just skate flat ground after and feel a million bucks you know yeah you you and evan got a clip like immediately after like taking a break you just like had wax in your pocket you waxed up like this little wally up ledge and evan just filmed the clip in a matter of like 10 minutes and he came back in was like we got a clip <laughs> that's why that's why evan's my right hand man because he's just like a <laughs> skate savage he just always wants to he okay so this is what i wanted to tell you bing is that night after filming and everything evan is like hey so he knew i was tired and whatever but he couldn't help himself he's like hey so like i found a pin to like a skate spot and I like kind of knew just when he said that, I was like, <laughs> I know this is going to be rough, but I was like, okay, yeah, we're, it's your first time in SF. Like this is the Mecca, the Bible of skateboarding for people that like Thrasher and Evan likes Thrasher. Uh, and he's like, shows me the pen and it's like in the deep, it's in deep in the tenderloin. And I'm like, uh, yeah, we're going into a war zone basically. So we get dropped off. We Uber get in there and it's just chaos. It's just people running around. The cops are chasing people, walking by people with crack pipes sitting out of their mouth, watching fucking people laying on the sidewalk, pissy and shitty sidewalks with all these tents, but they're on their iPhones. I was like, this is fucking crazy. And it was blocks. <laughs> it was city blocks, man. It was every direction because we skated around we found a spot hopped the fence evan got some clips on this like out round bar it was like in a i school. saw that clip i think yeah yeah and he got some clips and that actually worked out because we hopped the fence and got away from like this crazy like lady who was trying to touch us and she was clearly like not doing well you know i was like yeah we're just trying to walk by and we hopped the fence and then once we were in there it's like no one could get to us people were actually like <laughs> yelling at us like just like, <laughs> random people that were tweaking yeah. there was like people standing in the roads and stuff i mean i've i've seen it before actually when i went to chicago i saw some like neighborhoods like that and new york has some and philly has parts like that and then like the tenderloin i went a long time ago but i think just with everything that's happening in the world and seeing it again just seems so crazy like five blocks in every direction in a major city it's just people wilding out all night it's fucking crazy yeah, it's crazy. It's crazier in places like SF where the inequality is like so massive. Because like SF, I, I think from the people I know that grew up there, they're like, yeah, it's it's like become a different city the last 10, 15 years. You know, it's just like there's so much money there now, and so it's like even more stark to see like the homeless problem and like the addiction. You know, like yeah, man, yeah, it was insane. And uh, we couldn't even get a ride out because Evan's phone died from filming. I didn't have any of the like apps to get us a ride and then my internet wasn't working so I oh. he like called wow. his mom to try to get us a, a ride <laughs> she was gonna uber it from back east and then that didn't work so i was like fuck it we're going old school hop the fence try to get a taxi but we're in the tenderloin they're not stopping they're just driving by and i'm like all right at this point i'm like we're just gonna i'm just gonna let's just skate around because i gotta see this like i like 
I was like, I kind of just got to see what's going on. So we just skated around like multiple blocks in all direction. And then eventually I just tried to get my, my internet worked and I actually was able to download the app and got us back home or back to the hotel, to the Presidio, which is like, I'm literally on the uh, opposite side of the city. Yeah. On the opposite yeah. side of the city, but also like complete opposite. It's all trees and museums and stuff. It's not, it's not the tenderloin. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That day, that day was so extreme because I'm like, okay, I'm flying in to another city. The Golden Gate Bridge is amazing. And then this whole thing's amazing. And then at night in the Tenderloin, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is so con. The whole thing was such a stark contrast. It was a trip. And then the time change, the hour time change. So we were like three hours because we flew out. And then daylight savings too hit at the same time. Oh right, I forgot that was that weekend too. Yeah. Yeah, I felt lost in like in space (laughs) and time, dude. I didn't know where I was. Yeah, I kind of wish you would have hit me up so I could have like gone and experienced this. But at the same time, I'm glad I like got full night's sleep because I was exhausted after that day. Oh, dude. Uh, yeah. We got we got to do more stuff then, cause like I would have definitely hit you up. <laughs> I just probably didn't want to be rude, you know. Like I probably just didn't want to. I know everyone had a long day, but I was thinking about texting us, cause I was like, I wonder if like they're gonna go skating. But then I like got back to my room and I was like, I'm just gonna pass out. <laughs> I honestly didn't think Evan was gonna ask me. I could tell. I could tell he wanted to. I could see him all day. I'm like, <laughs> he wants to keep going, and he didn't seem like he was gonna ask me. And then he brought it up. But Evan's such a solid dude. He brought it up. Like I know you're probably tired but and i'm like yeah let's go you know like fuck it yeah yeah that's awesome (laughs) but it was cool it was cool experience but it was just like all over the map you know i'm like highs and lows a lot of highs and lows that day that weekend i'm glad you did it man i think it's it's gonna be an awesome exhibit can't wait for the museum to open up and we can all like go celebrate it together yeah hell yeah how many then we'll actually have like a we'll actually do some you know like a skate skate like uh outing yeah, that would, that would be sick. Yeah. And then you definitely have to come to my hood, too, because uh, I'll do throw you up in the Groms. You'll have a blast, dude. I've <laughs> yeah, been I'll, wanting, dri- I'll drive up. I've been wanting someone to come and film it because I'm the driver and the filmer. And, like, they're, like, the Groms, so, like, they're just used to me filming. So I kind of want to see, like, what happens if I brought a filmer and how they would, like... I mean, they're all like little professionals and they, they all rip, but it would just be cool to like see it, you know, and for me to skate with them more than just filming them. It's a whole different experience, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you should definitely come out this way and then we can go to Brooklyn too. Yeah. Hit me up next time you come out here. Yeah, man. Um, what's the, we'll see what the time is. I know we've been a little bit, uh, damn, it's already seven twenty right now. That's crazy. Yeah, we're gonna do a part two. Definitely, man. Definitely. Um, yeah. So we covered the museum, mind the gap, family. Seem like we're good. We'll just do a part two then, because there's so much two. more we can keep going with. You know. I know. Yeah, I think we just this has felt like a the introduction kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this was awesome. Thank. Thanks so much, Bing. Yeah. Thank you. It's been it's been cool don't usually get to like talk to another skater it's usually for like film stuff you know that i, that I do these things for so yeah well I, I thanks on multiple levels thanks for like uh before when you came out and filmed and hung out with me and then for thinking of me for the courage museum and uh, dude they loved you they like when you went out for that little skating break everyone was just like whoa like i i think they just like weren't ready for how open 
and honest you were going to be, you know, and like how, but like also how, how much you could articulate like lessons out of it. Like every time you like, were like going very deep about something that was like difficult that you went through, you were able to sort of like, also like, sort of like contextualize it, you know? Yeah. So I think everybody was super stoked on your, your interview. Yeah. They did a great job of like making me feel welcomed and like all you guys did. That was really awesome. It was such a cool experience and definitely, uh, be stoked to go out there again and celebrate a little bit and check it all out you know you will man you will yeah hell yeah bang i'm anthony shetler and this is the all i need skate podcast if you enjoy the podcast please let us know by subscribing liking and sharing an episode check out allineedskate.com for epic skate videos of the crew our skateboards and apparel